I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of Scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of one. My name is Shannon, and as usual, I'm joined here by Jake and Christian. Howdy, folks. Here we are again. To all those knockers who say I'm not enthusiastic enough when I'm... that was I hope I gave you a bit of oomph there. They wanted some extra oomph I, from you. They feel like I'm lacking oomph, so there's enough oomph uh, for you, hopefully. Uh, don't write in. I'm sick of seeing it. Uh, <laughs> today... Now he's got too much oomph. There's too much oomph. I've, I can't get the oomph scale right. Hardly TV history, the show where Shannon hates the audience. <laughs> yeah, brought to you by oomph. Carl's oomph. <laughs> Uh, no, so today we are doing, well, look, a little peek behind the curtain here, people. We've already done this episode. This was, in fact, the pilot episode of this show. And mm. if we were discussing whether it was going to go to air or not, the answer, resoundingly, would have been no, um, because it was terrible. So we're going to give this another crack. Well, it was uh, a very show. We, we had, had a crack at the very first time, and we, we found the format didn't work well, so we, we redid it and came back again with the X-Files. And that form worked for us. And some people may argue the format still doesn't work properly, but to them I say, oomph. That's all I say. <laughs> oomph. A <laughs> new swear word, oomph. Where do, did pretty much this, the reason this show all came about was because we were talking about pairs of shows that kind of history repeating themselves. Shows that were very mm. similar over a span of, you know, 10 or 15 years, sort of the, the format coming yeah, back. And, of course, we landed on this sort of beautiful pairing that we think is is kind of the the reason to showcase this particular uh, format that we've got going here. And they, of course, MASH and Scrubs, two medically-induced comedies. Now, a lot of people will be yelling at the screen, oh, of course, because it actually makes perfect sense when you think about it. But, um, yeah, that was a very, very uh, obvious pair to us. It was, and we had there was a big discussion. I remember the light bulb moment when we were discussing. We said, of course, MASH and Scrubs, they're both in hospitals. They're both comedies separated out by a very uh, long period of time. But the similarity is just thematically right there, oomph, as you would say, Shane. Playing incredibly hard and difficult topics with humour, um, but able to switch effortlessly between comedy and kind of sadness. So and that, tragedy, that was, yeah. the, that was the, the link we found. So... Obviously, these shows are generally shows that everyone knows, but we're going to we're going to explain them. So let's start with Mash. So Mash was a, a 1972 uh, comedy that was taken part in the uh, Korean War, and basically the show revolves around two main surgeons and uh, their experience in the war. They they take a, a light-hearted take of it, and we we go through the first episode with them on their journey to raise some money. Is the basic of the first episode. That's right. What are they raising money for? So they're raising money for a young, I want to say, helper, servant <laughs> boy. Uh, he, he's got a chance to go back to uh, America and go to a, a fine school, and they're trying to raise money to get him clothed, board, shipped, and tuition feed paid. 
It's a very noble cause. It mm. sounds like a really kind-hearted, generous thing to do. What a great what a great message uh, from the war coming out. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm just going to now segue into, let's talk about how they raise the money, <laughs> shall we? Uh, and Shannon, so you're you jumping. Is, Shannon is, it doesn't you, matter. It doesn't matter. You're jumping straight over the racism. What are we, what are, where are we starting with this show? We're with characters, Shan. So normally we start with characters and work our, work our way down to the negatives. So Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> so start with the characters. Can I can I just sort of start by saying, for all its flaws, it's still a really funny show to watch. It's if, still very enjoyable. If you compartmentalise it, <laughs> if you're happy well, to, I'll, yeah. If you compartmentalise it, we're going to talk about a lot of the the issues in the show, but the actual delivery, there's a bit of a laugh track in there as well. Um, but the, the witticism and the gags that Hawkeye, uh, who's one of the surgeons. Um, often deliver is really excellent the dynamic between the different characters is really great so shall i suppose shall we suppose we talk about hawkeye and his offsider well i think the first thing about alan order who plays hawkeye is that his timing is is perfect the delivery is perfect in every single joke and i think this i think a lot of uh a lot of comedian or sitcom actors have really taken some some notes on hawkeye because he, he does play the part perfectly He's he's solid enough in the comedy and solid enough in the Maudlin stuff that he he's very believable as a character and uh, and he really does anchor this show because if you didn't have him this thing is ninety five percent less funny and you know you can kind of he's so he's so likable as a character you do he does get away with this in this first episode with a lot um, mm. and so much he kind of he's so he's also very talented as a surgeon that that becomes very important him and his offsider yeah. are incredibly uh talented as surgeons uh in fairly trying circumstances and, and i think that the 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 way is the way you can kind of shift on a dime is very much like you will see later in scrubs that the, the two main characters are so similar i think in that regard that you can kind of have the heart and then you can have the flip on a dime have the humor as well as a, as a pilot episode, this is a very good at character introduction. There's a great scene of just kind of everyone being, you know, layabouts basically just in, in recreation and leisure time effectively in between the drama, and that's how the, the show starts. There's some um, great character introductions, Hot Lips and and Frank, uh, the two sort of antagonists uh, to, our, <laughs> to our protagonists, are playing footsie under the desk. That's... That's a two-second shot that you know that they're they're together in some sort of romantic relationship without saying anything, without you know stopping or pausing on it. You just see it, and when we move on, and we kind of get a slow character inter- interaction with everybody, and they're kind of you can see they're in a fairly poor situation. They're clearly in like a tent village, you know, waiting for medical choppers to turn up, but that's how they relax and and have a bit of fun. Yeah, that's right, and I think that. A, a key part of this episode, like one of the key plot points, revolves around them having fun, um, because the whole thing, as you said, there, Jake, that the, the idea is they're trying to raise money for a uh, for a, a young man to go to school back in the United States. So the episode revolves around Haw- Hawkeye and Trapper, who's his little offsider who who shares his room with him, trying to think of a way of actually fundraising the cash, and they decide to do that by um, effectively raffling off uh, a weekend pass um, to go to Tokyo. Uh, along with the company of a rather attractive young nurse, um, who at the start of the episode, no one's actually asked this nurse's permission to, to go and do this. But Hawkeye thinks it's going to be great. It's going to be it's going to be a real lark, and he proceeds to spend the episode trying to 
convince her to to go along with the idea. They actually go along and have a chat to um, the, the the commander, I think, um, yeah. the colonel, yeah, colonel yeah. And, and, and float the idea. Um, and then eventually they, through a, a, a rather, a, I don't want to say amusing, but it, it's designed to be amusing, um, montage of scenes with uh, Alan Alder and, and Hawkeye basically trying to, you don't want to say seduce the uh, young nurse. Well, right. I, I call it sexually harass. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and uh, if it's done in a montage, it's no problems. That's, that's, that's what you've got to know about these episodes. If you, if you sexually harass someone in a montage, no problems. Yeah. And I think that was kind of solidified back in, in the 80s. I mean, and this is a very early version of, 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 of that montage, you know, taking, part in, taking place in 1972 when this was filmed. So, you know, nice little bit of cinematic history there. Mm. And uh, so, you know, that, that plot point works and effectively they, the, through a series of hijinks, they hold this party even though they're told not to and effectively mm. almost get themselves court-martialed and arrested um, until the choppers roll in. And then, uh, of course, they have to snap into action and then it gets into the, you know, no, the kind of the serious gut punch of the, of the series and they do their work and magically uh, that all is forgiven. That they, they, no one cares. They, they do. They do rig the drawer, of course, so that the uh, the the nurse ends up going with the father, so that the the uh, the, yeah. the, the the priest of the of the camp, yeah, so that nothing happens. It's very clear that she had to get out of going, or she wasn't. She didn't have to perform mm. if she went, and that was the that was Hawkeye's way, very clever way of getting out of it. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's something we need to mention here, which is the antagonists, Hot Lips Hulahan and Frank Burns, who are the, the antagonists of the show, as you say, they discover this plan to hold this big party and they're not going to have a bar of it, especially Frank is very, what do you say, very prim and proper and very focused on, uh, on running things by the book and he's obviously got no time for Hawkeye or Trapper or any of their shenanigans, none of their nonsense. Um, so he tries to shut down this he tries to shut down this party along with Hot Loops Houlihan. So Hawkeye and Trapper come up with a scheme to prevent Frank from shutting down the, the party and allowing them to keep going, which is to somehow get hold of some medications, hold Frank down, give him an injection, put him to sleep, then wrap him up in, in bandages and put him in a, in a hospital bed as if he's a, a wounded soldier. And then they can sort of kick off and enjoy the party all by themselves, which I think you'd all agree is one, a very gross ethical medical violation uh, and two there's got to be a breach of some military uh, yeah <laughs> and, and, and they're not even arrested for that purpose they're arrested for holding the party yeah, no one cares about Frank <laughs> you know, in spite of in spite of the order not to it's uh you know there's a, there's a whole raft of there's a lot of sexual harassment people are cheating on partners and wives it's a very loose time uh yeah, I love war. how it's all stuff it's just like yeah it's it's funny that she he got he got he got drafted to the war so he could cheer on his wife. <laughs> yeah, and he's like that's the reason why I came. And it's just it, it, moments like those you're just like, what am I watching? He, he reads a, yes. one of them. A, Trapper reads a, a a letter from his wife and he says, "Bad news, she still loves me." Um, and yeah. there's there's just so much of that 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 is going through. It's just it's still it's, it's still very funny and it's still very active. Back in well, back in those days, I think from in the seventies and that kind of humor was your wife had to be. An annoying shrew, <laughs> yeah, and that's who you married because that's who they were back then. And yeah. anyone other than that is just not right. But that's a really interesting point you make there because that really sort of goes to the portrayal of women in this show just generally because they're either 
uh, portrayed as like you say the 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 shrew who you know men don't really want to be around and they go to war to get away from and yada yada um or they're like this young nurse who uh you know is basically just a, an object of their 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 desire and and they're chasing her around or they're hot lips hulahan who who Which, also gets her way by by with sexual favors because <laughs> she happens to call in one of the high ranking members of the uh, of the uh, of the command who she's yes. also had some sort of scandalous affair with that you see in a flashback. Yes. So, you know, she 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 is just like every single woman is a sex object. In fact, the very yep. last scene you get as the as the camera p- pulls out of the of is is them still hitting on two random nurses. It's just it's just an absolute absolute sexual harassment. Well, in, in the first in the first 30 seconds you see him doing surgery and then the first I think maybe even the second or third line he says is do you want to play doctor after this? Mm. And it's like you start yep. the show and you're already in, in the in the main theme of it. it, it yeah, that's right. And- Gentlemen, don't oh, it's so awkward when we just we <laughs> both we both don't want to talk. Everyone's like, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you mm. hang up, no, you're a schmoopy. No, you. No, you hang on, No, you talk, Shannon. Go. I, I was actually going to move on. So if you've got something you want to add, throw it, go in. No, no, that's fine. Go cool. for it. I, I so, now, anyway. so, I mean, there's there's no way to consider this show with with that, with through that, that modern lens. This show is hugely problematic in terms of its characters, particularly women. I, I was pretty shocked to see how poorly women are largely treated in this show. The men have all the power and, and, and are dominate most of the conversation they're fairly flippant in terms of the the way that they deal with racist how how is the the so the kid that they are raising funds for to send overseas um which is john yeah oh john oh john he's korean or or, or so so he's he's being used as a bartender effectively running the distillery for hawkeye (laughs) seems like like a like their their little yeah butler or (laughs) yeah like um, back in you hear back in the like eighteen hundreds, the British would have like a like a, a manservant or a boy who would you know the, the officers would have them take care of their clothing and stuff. That's kind of the role that Hojon sort of found himself in, which isn't actually probably that unrealistic because you know these soldiers in the Korean War and 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 every war they were in these camps, and that was probably one of the only ways for people like local people to actually make any money. Remember, the economy would be completely destroyed because of the war, and so there would be a lot of people who would be providing service service jobs in in the camps, you know, cooking and cleaning and um, doing the laundry and, and those sorts of things. So having a young man like Hojon actually sort of hanging around and being a bit of a helper type type thing would, is, you know, not an unrealistic prospect. I do love how proudly this this show wears its saves the cat moment um, on its chest and, it, and all of our modern audiences are going, oh, that's really not great. You know, for anyone uninitiated, the saves the cat is, is setting up our hero effectively is a good guy. So they might do questionable things, but you've, you've seen them be good guys. So therefore you kind of know, and, and every villain, when you set them up, they get a kicks the cat moment where, you know, they do something bad so that you, you know that they're villains. So it's that, that short audience shorthand. Um, And, and his good guy moment is I'm going to send you to America to get a good education. You slave boy that I have running my distillery. It's, it's all very (laughs) odd for, for a modern audience. You know this this show is is universally loved. It's it is missing some characters that people know and love down the track, but most of mm-hmm. the characters are there 
Um, and it does a really good job of only introducing the characters we really need to know. There's a couple, Radar, for example, is in there, but really doesn't get any sort of meaningful I, introduction. So Radar's probably my favourite character of the whole lot. He, him sneaking up on these, his, his colonel and already having the answers to what he's going to ask. Yeah. I'm not sure. It's, 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 uh, it's harmless fun. And yes. it's, probably, it's probably the only character who doesn't get involved with that um, that sexual appetite well, that seems to have. hold up. Let me let me rock your world, son, because Radar is an enabler. Radar goes and gets the passes signed by the colonel. Remember, he he goes and, yes, and, and yes, puts all the, all the paper puts all the paperwork in a big pile and gets the colonel to sign it. So you know he's participating, maybe not to the same degree as everybody else, but he's certainly enabling. But that's kind of in character for Radar too, because he certainly is portrayed as someone who's really eager to please and and wants to be friends and and, and useful to everybody. And I think that that eagerness to please and be of service really comes through really strongly in, in, in that portrayal, as you say, where he's, he's right there, Johnny on the spot with all the information preempting what's actually needed from, from his, um, from the Colonel. Uh, but, you know, we also do see the negative flip side of that. So I think that's an interesting observation. Yeah. And he's there with a the box of cigars right at the end and, and, and does all his, his uh, the legwork for anyone in command. Mm. So, you know, he's the gopher effectively of the crew. He does uh, greet the corporal, Colonel, whoever the highfalutin guy is, with a <laughs> with a toilet bowl on his head or a a, a bedpan on his head, mm-hmm. yep. but you know he's he's largely kind of yeah absent from that sort of sexual harassment click that yes. seems to be going on. It's yeah you you couldn't make this show now. You, you it's no. it's actually tough watching now. I think it's more the content that's that's hard to watch rather than the actual plot itself. I think you know a, a wisecracking surgical surgical group in a war. That's okay. That's fine. It's more the, it's more the mm. content that you're you could you could make the show today. You'd have to change it drastically, though. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to change the type of humor. So rather than being all about sexual harassment and uh, and um, objectifying women and and also racism, which I want to talk about in a moment, um, you'd have to have some kind of comedic mechanism, which well, you could do. I think you could easily have a wisecracking surgeon. Very simply, well, you you do it and you call it Scrubs, and that's that's why it's paired together. <laughs> yeah, but before we go to Scrubs, let's let's talk racism. Yeah, Everyone's sure, favorite topic. I, well, I, I just wanted to flag this because there's there's not too many African American characters in this show, which you know, it coming out in 1972 might not be um, too surprising. Uh, but that was sort of a, a, the civil rights era when when. Uh, African-Americans were starting to become um, more vocal and, and, and getting access to, to rights and, and changing the, the, the some of the systematic racism that was in, in place at the time. We do see a couple of African-American characters, um, mainly nurses, although I do note that one of them is actually cr- uh, credited as Spearchucker, which when I saw that, okay. I did a real double take because that's a, a shocking name to give someone very flippantly and very callously. Uh, Given the show set in the fifties, you could probably probably see it happen. And, and Mash was based on a movie, which in turn was based on a book. Mm. Um, so you know, you certainly would expect to see you know that kind of that kind of naming happening. But just another thing you wouldn't be able to actually have in a in a movie or a TV show nowadays. It certainly wouldn't wouldn't pass muster. Now, doing my research on this, it uh, I read the trivia that's on IMDb. That's my research. Um, Good job. Uh, and and this was the only time a racial slur was ever used mm. in the pilot. So in the whole series, right. one time, this is the only time they've ever used the word or the phrase spear chucker or any other racial slur. So it's really yeah. interesting that they decided to keep it in the pilot, which is very, very interesting. He, he, he's a fellow surgeon. There's a, there, is a, there is a black 
or an African American character who is in the in their tent. Is he? He's a, a fellow surgeon or a doctor? Is or assume he's one of the main surgeons because it seems to be the four main surgeons are in that tent. He, he gets yeah, right. almost no introduction. He gets Correct. a couple of lines and then he disappears for most of the episode. And you see him throwing a football around. Um, yeah, you know, basically forgotten in the end credits which we have to talk about the end credits before we, we move on because I, this is something that's missing from tv generally because i want to watch this um where they have a roll call effectively and you turn and smile mm. at camera um yeah. and that is that is something that i will campaign on every show forever needs yeah. to be um but if, he, if we ever go to video chat we are all three of us all of us our name will pop up and we will turn and smile and freeze frame to camera yeah. Um, Fantastic, can't but wait. but that's the, he he is seen. I think again throwing a football, um, and I think the very last person introduces an African American woman who I don't actually remember being in the episode at all. Um, and so oh, she's the nurse Frank was mean to. So yeah, I mean she's basically not. They're basically non-existent, and they're there, but it almost seems very tokenistic that they're there in in the first place. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just it's not reflective. I mean, again, the show we'll talk about is. Is thirty years down the track of being of being more inclusive, so you get a far more diverse cast. Um, and I just think it's 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 def- definitely missing. And when you look at it through two thousand twenty eyes, two thousand twenty one eyes, it, it, it's painful that that the lack of diversity is there. Before we move on, I, I just want to really say that I think they did a really good job of showing how poor the area was or how limited supplies they had. Even in the very first scene when the helicopter lands and they're loading four patients onto two jeeps. You know, one in the bonnet, one in the back, and they're holding it as it's war. I, I didn't actually notice that the first time around. I thought that was really interesting, the fact that they kind of suddenly put in there that they don't really have ambulances even. They literally well, have two Jeeps and stretchers. And that's, well, that's right. Yeah, they, that's exactly right. They're just making do with what they got. And it's also worth pointing out that their helicopters are just very tiny helicopters by modern standards, and there's not actually room to put a patient inside the helicopter. They're basically strapped to the legs. Mm. I couldn't believe that. I thought, I don't know, I've seen those designs before. And mm-hmm. you, you don't think about it, then you think there's two patients on either side. They're specifically designed to carry two people on the yes. wings of the helicopter. It's just ridiculous. On the, yeah. on the landing skid, that's right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I think that the overall message that MASH continues to, even to this day, say the overarching message is that war is hell, effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, the pilot episode probably doesn't quite strike that balance. You don't quite get the gut punch that I know you get further in, in the season. Um, but you certainly get them snapped to attention and they work. And the commentary that they make is effectively, I'm just going to patch this guy up as best I can. His quality of life might be terrible afterwards, but effectively saving his life is a win. And that's, that's that's kind right. of it, um, and that's all they're trying to get to effectively, um, is to keep these people alive no matter what. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean that's effectively that they're they're operating, they're operating in incredibly tough circumstances. I, I wonder mm. whether the show would have been better served hitting on some of those that tone a little bit. But I, th- I feel like it's mismatched in terms of it wants to be a comedy, but it also wants to have a few gut punches in it. Um, would it have been better as a as a pilot to do both? Maybe not. Maybe it's better to just say this is a this is a comedy that's going to touch on this stuff later yeah. on. I don't know. I think this is the best one of the best examples of just bringing the people in with the comedy. That is bringing it in, bringing it just just it's funny. Come watch it, and then they'll hit you with the with the the balance later. I think this is a very joke heavy episode, and the the laugh track sure helps that. Even though it's really odd to hear a laugh track when it's clearly not in the studio. Which is yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, but it's, it's that it's that dichotomy between comedy and tragedy, isn't it? 
and I think that's kind of what makes Mash so successful is that they can they can successfully touch on on both things. They're they're having lighthearted giggles about something. You know, the content's actually completely inappropriate for a modern audience. But let's keep in mind it was made in 1972, so they're they're all having a laugh and and having a good time. Then you know something snaps, the helicopter rotors come in, and instantly they're all they're all business and they're actually dealing with these really horrible uh, experiences, patching up very damaged young men who have been who have been absolutely destroyed by the war. And keep in mind, this came out in 1972 at the height of the Vietnam War. Or actually not the height, but sort of the, the tail end of it. Um, and so the people who are watching this on TV each night would have known friends and family and nieces and nephews and things who had gone off to fight in Vietnam. And a number of them have been injured and the, the, the peace movement would have been in full swing. So this show is actually speaking to like a wider sort of social conscience. And they're very cleverly using the Korean War, which had happened, you know, 20 years before, as the vehicle to to actually tell the message about this is what this is a bit of an idea of what the experience of war is like for people who aren't actually aren't on the front lines. They're not showing soldiers fighting in combat. They're not showing like any jingoistic hero heroism. They're showing what happens after the battle uh, behind the lines as people are trying to put um, kids back together and actually save their lives, even if they have to amputate legs or they're going to be brain damaged. Or you, and you see quite a lot of injury and, and damage through the through the course of the, the show. Yeah, and that's probably why it's such an important show and so so well loved. I mean, this is actually reflective of people who did not want to be there, who were conscribed mm. into this this situation. Yeah. And, and I think you know, our generation particularly um, would have no idea what what that's like to, to have a sort of this looming spectre of of a, of a of a crisis, and to be wondering where in a in a in an age group where it would probably affect us or um, you know healthy healthy young men potentially that gets drafted off to war. Um, we have no concept of that, no frame of reference. So this is, it is a, a time capsule in that way, but it's probably important to understand the historical context. And I think that that show does it pretty well um, without, yeah. you know, kind of really drawing on the line. Those those people clearly don't want to be there. They're there because they've got a talent that the military needed um, and and they're yeah. serving a, a, a fairly noble cause while desperately wanting to go home. And, um, you know, we, do, we don't talk about later episodes, but we know we do get characters whose whole persona is geared around get me home, I'm crazy, I want to go home. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's really important to remember. And I think if, if the audience is younger and hasn't seen MASH, it's probably easy to lose that historical context and importance because of the stuff that you, as a modern audience, go, holy hell, how, you know, how is this, this acceptable? without looking at the wider messaging of, gee, this is a really important show. Absolutely. And there's another point that I wanted to sort of raise with you guys, which is the iconic music of MASH. Yeah, be is it, um, heard. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me do it. We're, we're, we're uh, obviously, you know, great minds think alike here. Yeah, we're um, is it, like the MASH theme tune has been around my whole life, and I think you guys would probably feel the same. You know, for, for younger generations who might not have had um, MASH blaring across their TVs at 4.30 every afternoon after they got home from school. Uh, it, it is a very iconic tune um, that, that that plays the theme and and, uh, and uh, Jacob might not be impertinent to think that this the MASH theme might be the one that, that closes out this episode. Well, we so we do have it. to be careful because... Yeah. The, the the episode the show the song is called Suicide is Painless and what I understand of it is that the person who who actually wrote it is highly litigious and does not like it being used anywhere. Oh, they will sue. Mm. This is like that theme all over again. They, they will sue, and you can't. Right. So I might have to go with the uh, with the Scrubs thing. Yeah, in fact, uh, there's there's a whole there's a whole tripod song 
that's dedicated to the fact that that song is so hard to to get the rights for to use um, just on that. So, uh, but, but right. it is a, it is a very iconic theme song. Like like Christian said, four thirty or five o'clock every day was kind of it went from being your time on the TV to kind of your dad's time on the TV because yep. you know when the cartoons ended and Mash came on. That was kind yeah. of like a buffer between the two the two night times. So, um, yeah, I knew Mash uh, theme song very well, but this is probably the second time I've only seen an episode. So, yeah, yeah, right. But um, but it does lead really well into our into our next show, um, which also has a great theme song. Probably not as iconic, but it's a very very good theme song. Uh, so, uh, Christian, tell us all about Scrubs. Sure. So Scrubs is a medical drama um, following a, a character named JD as he starts his first day at the Sacred Heart Hospital. He's a he's just finished his medical in um, studies. He's coming in for his first day. We basically learn his uh, a little bit of his backstory. Um, he's dealing with he dealing with his anxiety and stress for his first day. We hear a lot of his inner monologue. Um, we also begin to understand a bit of the relationships that he, he forms or already has around him, especially that with his friend uh, Turk, who is uh, his college roommate, who's happened to get a job at the same place. He he flagged a potential love interest in a, another intern who's working alongside him named Elliot, um, and he, we actually see him um, find his, his mentor, um, which is a fellow named Dr. Cox, and the whole episode revolves around his first couple of days in the hospital and his i suppose journey of adventure in 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 that very exciting first couple of days of his career could not say any more than that other than you introduced to a few other characters you get dr kelso who's the chief of chief of medicine and yes. crazy janitor who is uh is in the first episode as well and carla sorry carla as well and carla of course they're, they're, yeah. they're your main characters that you, you block off now i'm going to say very very early on that Scrubs is probably the show that I've seen the most in the world, the many, oh, really? many times, all the way through. Um, it's my show that I kind of put on to, after, say, three months, I haven't seen it all the way through. It's the one I go to bed to. It's the one I fall asleep to. Do, do, you, do you watch all the way to the end, Jack? No, I don't. I watch sort of <laughs> five. That's when it gives up. But yeah. I, I, I watched the very first episode again today, and I, I really I really liked how they start off the show with JD in frame being his kind of wacky self and it, it sets a tone very very early on for what you're going to get i think in the show uh it's a bit it's a very it's a very unique show in the sense that i think it's it's a it's an archetype that's been copied after this but this was to me revolutionary in the sense that it was so it was genuinely wacky with it, it reminds mm. me of a live action episode of family guy is that there's so much non sequiturs and 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 you know cutaway gags and and costumes and wacky stuff that happens outside of it it really is quite surreal dealing yeah. with quite with very very difficult set of circumstances and i i do genuinely love the setup to this i think jd is having a real crisis that i'm sure impacts a lot of uh, medical professionals on their first day that first time they actually have to cut a person open or do a do a procedure to someone he's really struggling with that um, in a teaching hospital where his friend is ex- excelling or se- seemingly excelling. Um, and he's just trying to, he's a young single guy. He's also trying to pick up, you know, women at the same time. Like he's hes kind of doing a whole bunch. Um, I love the the turn of Kelso. Kelso is set up to be, as JD keeps pointing out, the hero of the story. Every every story needs a hero. So Kelso and looks the safety like net. And yeah. the safety net. And it seems like he's the guy until right at the end. Um I think I think just the cast is really good, but this this show is ma- is made 
by Dr. Cox. It, John C. McGinley is this show for me. Great thing about having Jay, uh, has, having Dr. Cox as his mentor is that yeah, you could have a guy that's going to coddle him and put like set him down, set him on a, a bed of pillows and let him do his thing very early on. But no, he gets Dr. Cox, who's the biggest hard in the hospital, but mm. knows he, he knows what he's doing and he's, he's the biggest, baddest dog in the hospital. Yep. And, and the character yep. interaction of Dr. Cox is brilliant because he is seemingly aggressive and dismissive all the way through. And when there's a life on the line, he actually, A, pushes JD to, to, to actually believe in himself and do what he needs to do at a, in a moment of crisis. But he's reassuring in just the smallest, the smallest way. And it really does set up that, that relationship for the entire run, whereas JD is constantly trying to get Dr. Cox's approval. For everything, mm. um, yes. and it's that it's that moment. It is superbly acted by John C. McGinley. It, it there is just a switch, a five percent change in the way that he delivers a line, but it's just it's brilliant when he just snapped to attention. You, this is what you need to do now. You're going to lose him if you don't do it now, um, mm. and it's just this perfect encapsulation of their relationship. I I, I love that moment. That moment hit me again when, when watching this. And that's a really important thing to note because another thing he does really a little bit differently is he the way he addresses JD is very different. Like when he's mocking JD and uh, lecturing him about like the appropriate dose of Tylenol, say Panadol or um, Paracetamol, to give to a to a to a patient, he's you know mocking him, calling him mocking him, calling him newbie or Bambi or, or whatever name they're naming him at the time. But then in that moment where they're trying to treat the patient and he's trying to encourage JD, he calls him JD. Mm. says come on jd do it do it and and just the difference in tone and the yeah. way he's referring to him using his, his proper name rather than you know a made-up name it really helps differentiate delineate between hey this is when we're where when i'm 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 sort of not berating you or mocking you but here's when i'm playing, having fun and here's when we're actually being really serious and we, we need to do, do real work but i also think carla's very good in that in that moment too where she's taking a step back and where she could take over and do it for him, but she's, mm. she listens to Dr. Cox and she follows what he's doing because they've worked together so long. And you get yeah. that instant connection between those two characters as well. I think everything is set up perfectly in this, sh- in this show character-wise of mm-hmm. who is responsible, who's talking to who, who's at which relationship point with who. I think it's really, really interesting. That, and the fact that Carla knows instantly in that situation to step back and let JD and, and Dr. Cox take control. And even when he celebrates, she lets him have that five seconds and then boom, straight back to work again. And I think mm. she's very important and, and probably the the least um, the least amount of credit goes to her in this in this episode. But watching her in the background, I've paid attention to her today, and she she has a lot in the background to set herself up for in later episodes. Yeah, she does. She does. And and a lot of that is to do with the relationship she's she sort of begins to form with Turk. Um, who's uh, JD's friend who started with him. Um, and also a, a really interesting scene where uh, Car- uh, Elliot, Elliot Reed, the young female doctor who JD is uh, is interested in, um, says something snide or, or snide to her, or has a bit of a bit of a backhanded remark towards Carla, and Carla immediately rips her apart and yeah. proceeds to give her like a, a, a good solid lecture about, um, I think it was uh, wearing a G string and uh, G string. That's it. Yeah, and and hooking up with Turk in the in the you know call, sleeping room or whatever. Room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I'll. I still wonder whether this is still a, a bunch of males trying to write empowered female characters. Mm-hmm. Like they're, yeah. they're still sex objects through the show. You know, they, they turn on each other and have a crack about each, each other being kind of easy or slutty or whatever that 
the yep. inference is the way that they write Carla is that they try to give her these empowering moments, one one with Elliot, but also one with Turk where she gets him to strip off and then says nice and walks off and leaves him there. I, I feel like that's trying to be empowering, but it's kind of, to me, feels there's still, there's still something a bit icky about it. And I do wonder whether that's male writers you know, trying trying really hard to be to put a sort of feminist spin on those characters. Yeah, but, I think so. It, it's like men writing women. You know, mm. there's a bit of a there's a bit of a thing in writing about that um, where where it's just not it doesn't come across very authentic. But that's why I think this the moment where she steps back and doesn't say anything. She's doing more by not saying anything and not doing anything than actually doing something. And I think that that moment's really important. It shows kind of I think going forward how important some of these ba- uh, background characters are in scrubs that I don't think people give a lot of credit to. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so she, she, that to me says she knows her place, which is still very kind of, she's a nurse that can do a lot of what JD is paid to do yeah. um, and does it anyway. Um, but knows when shit's on the line, she needs to, to step back. And so that's, that's a, a friction point And it's clearly setting up friction points where she's seen as just a nurse. And I say that with, you know, finger air quotations is she's just a nurse because, you know they have such a she says such a valuable role and and she knows that she's she's valuable to the to the organization but doesn't feel completely valued i think yeah and that that kind of that's hinted at and you know you kind of expect that to kind of roll out a bit later on down through future episodes so it's a it's a good use of foreshadowing and i think jake's right they they kind of lay the foundations and the groundwork for the show going forward and i think it's fair to say that that there's the capacity there for every episode to be structured in a fairly similar way. The whole story through the whole episode is basically told from the perspective of JD and his own inner monologue. JD's sort of voice is a character in itself. We've got JD who appears on screen and we've got the JD who speaks to us through through the narration and they're, they're often different. I think that the pop culture references are really quite interesting and like you say, sort of like Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Scrubs came out before Family Guy. Uh, I reckon they're probably very close. Just, yeah, maybe just. V- very close, but they- they've got a similar tone. Obviously, uh, you know, we can have an argument about, about who's who, but I- it- this is clearly better in terms of the scale of writing. Um, and it- it's more- way more cohesive. Like the-, 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 the cutaways are relevant to the story, whereas Family Guy, they're just, they're just jokes. They're effectively sketches within a, within a show. Um, they're at least relevant yeah. here, and, they- and they, are- they are quite funny. The-, the way that this show deals with death to me is also very, very similar to the way MASH does. They yep, are yes. incredibly flippant. And I think a modern audience is used to people saying that's how they have to do it, deal with it to cope. If you you got mm. invested with every person, <clears throat> as JD falls a little bit into the trap of, um, you'll never survive here if you if you don't compartmentalize. And that's effectively we we've seen with the with with Mash, we see very seasoned operators who are already cynical. That they are way way past that in terms of their of their career. Um, they've been drafted with their medical expertise, so they're already functioning surgeons that have been drafted across. It's yeah. a great time to pick up JD where he's so new, and he's seeing other cynical people around him, but he's new and 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 fresh face and and, and trying to deal with that those emotions. Yeah, so Nurse Roberts is the one who's who's cynical and just wants to go home. She wants to just call the dead body so she can go home. And I think it also shows how sudden death can be in a hospital. Because, I mean, I think everyone's kind of, everyone's heard a story or something about, you know, them just being there one minute and then gone the next. And I, I think it, it really hits home how, how it would look from a doctor's point of view 
in the very first time he does has to deal with it. Yeah, that's right. And so JD is really rocked by the the death of his patient, um, which was was unexpected, and it really causes him some 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 stress and some grief. But as you say, the other surgeons around, uh, Dr. Cox in particular, they're they're not phased. They're already moving on to the next one and and shows the importance of being able to compartmentalise that. And you can imagine the... They do actually mention the family of the man man who's died because Dr. Kelso berates JD and tells him, you need to go get approved to carry out an autopsy, which is obviously important to him for some reason. And I guess it's probably because he says it's a teaching hospital. So I guess that they get students involved in the autopsy process and they're able to educate them and teach them. And maybe they get to charge the family money. I I don't know. Um, You can see that would be a very difficult conversation to have with with a family. And Elliot steps up and actually goes and does it on JD's behalf because he's he's really struggling with the death of that that patient. Doesn't feel like he's able to, to have that conversation with the family. And Doctor Kelso is threatened to fire him if he doesn't actually go and get that that autopsy. Yeah, and it's actually a really good look at the at the hospital administration as well. Um, yes. And it's it's very American in the sense that I, I think a lot of people wouldn't even worry about whether whether they've got insurance or not and whether they can be treated. Whereas that's a big pressing issue and and kind of running theme is that. This is a teaching hospital, and I would have thought a teaching hospital means you're getting less a lesser le- level of care than you would at another hospital, and therefore it ought to be cheaper and potentially free and public. Um, where it's not, it's, it's highly dependent on whether they have insurance and sick people and dying people who need help are booted out effectively are told to be booted out because they don't have insurance that will cover those procedures. Mm. You know, living in Australia, we're very privileged here that we don't have to worry about that you know, our American friends that are listening, uh, it is a good glimpse for other people around the world to see how that, that healthcare system is working and, and struggling with those kinds of things. But you're also yeah. the of, of um, Dr. Kelso here because he's trying to be the nice administrator. You need to get the autopsy. It's, it's you know, part of your job. And then the turn when JD doesn't want to do it, like if he said, sure, no problem, he probably would have stayed fine for a few more days. But the mm. fact that he just had enough, he, he's at the bottom line. And I think Bob Kelso... Very early on, you see his bottom line, Bob. Like he's the one person you need to. He's the he's the money man, and you need to appease him. Well, that's right, and and that's a really interesting turn because it really kind of un, there's like a scene where Kelsey becomes unmasked, and they actually do that with a bit of an animation and a bit of graphic over the face and present him to look like the devil. It, it kind of goes to another theme of this show, which is I suppose the dysfunction in the health system, and the fact that they're not actually really treating people because it's the right thing to do. They're trying to do it for money, which is causing all sorts of issues. I Means the JD's patient who needs a, a um, liver transplant or a kidney transplant, or whatever whatever it is, can't actually get the transplant because they don't have the insurance to do it. And Kelsey doesn't care he, because the person doesn't have insurance. He wants them booted out and sent on their way. And so it's actually exploring a, a deeper theme, which is uh, keep in mind this came out in the early two thousands, two thousand and one, and yeah, this is before even like um, Obamacare had come out and 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 they'd made some progress towards more universal health system. And I think we even now the American health system is still well known around the world to be in in crisis and people not being able to afford coverage and care. So a good similarity between this show and, and MASH is that they're both exploring these deeper themes that, that, are, that are sort of across society, but they're using TV, comedy and tragedy to, to do that. And I thought that was a, a really interesting pairing and, and more support for us choosing both of these shows to be compared to each other. Yeah, and it's it's not it's it's weird probably to see a medical show on TV that doesn't really the medicine is kind of take a back seat. You know, you're used Correct, to the yeah. house Grey's Anatomy where it's a it's a case of the day 
you know, case of the week where they're trying to solve whatever the issue is. Um, is and, you know, it's now, it's it's always lupus and you should know it's lupus. Um, and always start with lupus and then eliminate lupus and then work it from there. Um, but it's, it's, it is, it takes a back seat. And there are some episodes where, you know, JD is trying to find a particular issue with one particular patient, but it's really about how they interact with each other and how they interact with with the other doctors within within the hospital, you know, Kelso is and and you know Ted, the the, the hospital lawyer who's a great character, oh, yeah, phenomenal. They're emblematic of it's it's emblematic of the American healthcare system, right? Like that's that's it's focused on on money first, profits first, and then the patient second, and he's there to just kind of keep the hospital out of issues so it can keeeps making money. That's really the the, the hospital administration that you see is just those two. Yes. You know, yeah. so then you've got these hardline doctors who are just so jaded and cynical that they wheel a dead person around so that no one asks them to do work or, mm. you know, will make a point of saying they can't hear me or they don't understand, so I'm going to say whatever shit I like to them and they'll just, I just don't care whether they can hear me or not effectively. Um, you know, that's that's trying hard to make to basically make these people cynical straight away. They're not even waiting for JD to get his youthful exuberance sucked out of him. They're just like, be cynical now because it's it gets harder much much later on. Because they don't have time for that, and I think that's where a lot of these shows kind of baby you into the into the process. You don't have time for that. Day one, you're in the front line helping patients, and I, I think the patients are a huge part of the show. The relationship they have with the doctors, because I think later on in the season they say, you know, you're seeing a patient on the worst day of their life. Yes. And, that's, and, and, that, and that's what that's what it is. You've got to think about it like that. And to be that doctor and be that, be optimistic and happy and stuff, I just can't imagine that happening over a long period of time. And Dr. Cox is a perfect example of that. For me, yeah. it was a Tuesday. I was thinking yeah. that. But I didn't want to say that. <laughs> it always comes back to Street Fighter. It yeah, does. It's always Street Fighter. Ground um, but it's important to remember, though, that you, you are right, but Dr. Cox and, and a lot of the other doctors, and especially Dr. Kelso and, and, and um, Ted, the lawyer, they're caricatures. And they're, they're intentionally constructed as caricatures, but they're caricatures that are instantly recognisable and familiar. And even us living in, you know, in Australia, far away from the United States, and we don't their, their health system isn't native to us. We know enough just via cultural osmosis that to, to know that that's what these characters are and who they represent, and we know where they kind of fit in 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 the scheme of things. So, yeah, I think the show does that really incredibly well. It's a solid pilot, like in terms of its character development, <clears throat> it's setting up what the show's tone is like, the writing. It's it's all very solid, straight up. Um, I don't think any of the characters really change. I don't think anyone gets introduced into the second or third episode. It seems like it's a really rock-solid foundation from episode mm. one. Again, again, you get the people who need to be introduced get introduced. And I think, you know, Turk's going to be obviously a very big character, but you actually get very little time with Turk. And I yeah. think that, that's that's kind of setting up the show that it is about JD. It's about his first day. It's about his life. And these are characters that pop in and out when they're in his life. Because, mm. you know, Turk goes away for the first few days because he has he wants to try and be a surgeon and, and get away and separate himself from JD and then comes crawling back. So you don't see <laughs> Turk in that first day because, because he's not there in JD's life in that moment. You don't have a, a shot where he's not interacting with someone else other than JD. Because even though he's interacting with Carla... JD's right outside the door, and that's still right in the vicinity of JD, which I think is really interesting and a really brave 
weight yeah. and pile it, which you don't really see a lot of. Because I think you see a lot of times where you, you kind of cut the Turk doing surgery. But in this first episode, no, you don't. You only see it when JD is there. Or no, when he's that's right. And, and the, I suppose the symbolism there or the imagery of JD on the other side of the door from Turk and Carla. JD's sitting there, he's actually calling it, let me in, let me in, I've got three minutes to sleep. And, you know, Turk and Carla are uh, getting amorous in the other room. And um, But just, yeah, the, the imagery of JD actually being on the other side of that door, kind of almost like a like a pet trying to sort of scratch at the door to get in because mm. um, he just wants to be close to, to Turk is actually, a, 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 yeah, good observation, Jake. I'm very impressed. <clears throat> the, only, the only thing I really don't like about, about the character introductions is the way that, um, Elliot is dealt with. I, I feel like she's mm. overly shrew and and kind of she's unlikable in in that first episode. And I, I don't feel like she's well handled. She's well played. I think she, Sarah Chalk does a really good job. I just wish she was more likable in that in that first episode. That'll that'll mm. be her arc though. I mean, it's pretty setting up her pretty heavily to be that kind of kicked until she's down and then revamped kind of character because uh, she was written as a much worse character and when they met Sarah Chalk, they actually revamped her to be the character that you see. I think she's okay. going to have the biggest arc in, in the way to deal with people is probably her biggest arc without giving too much away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the janitor who's just fun, like he's just thrown in for fun um, mm. and sets off a rivalry with JD that lasts the entire run and... Uh, you know, Brilliant. really well played by Neil Flynn too. From people would know him from the middle, but he's it's he's really really good character as well. That shows that the show doesn't take itself too seriously. Like a character like him is just just thrown in for for good good fun. Effectively, yeah, it's it's Neil Flynn from Major League. That's where you know uh, Neil Flynn from The Fugitive. I think is it The Fugitive? The in the Fugitive. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Which becomes a plot point in in Scrubs later on. Um, okay, so. These these are obviously both both very very solid shows, well loved, rabid fan base. Uh, which yes. one which one are you recommending? Which what are you what are you saying to watch? Yeah, look, I'm going to go out there and uh, I'm going to say that I thought Mash was actually the more enjoyable of the two. Um, it's an old show. It's got a lot of problems, but it's a classic. And I think if you haven't seen it, you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, you've got to give it. You've got to be conscious of the time it's from, and you've got to be conscious of. The, the gags and the jokes and the inappropriateness, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, and and throw my vote in for Mash. Now I'm going to I've already tipped my hat and say that I've had, uh, Scrubs is my favorite one of my favorite TV shows ever. Um, I think I think Mash is a fantastic pilot. I think uh, for, for the, at the time I think it, it, it is funny, even though we've been pretty harsh on it uh, for the time it was. And um, but for Johnny C McGinley uh, alone, you have to go with Scrubs. Yeah, I I love John C. McGinley, man. That that guy is just the just best. The best. Um, yeah, look, it's really hard to split. Um, you know, there is that that real historical link for me because you know you do come home and and I that those first few bars of Suicide is Painless and I'm flashing back a little bit like a Nam flashback. Mm. I can I can mm. see the helicopters landing. Be the remote. Um, and yeah. and they and you know it is a really solid show and the and the pilot does a really good job of setting up you know, the pace of the show. I can't go past Scrubs. I, Scrubs is such a good a good show um, and it's 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 built for a modern audience. So when when we're watching it, it's really, to me, it's it's the show that I'd much prefer. I think it's because of that JD and the narration. I think it's because listening to JD talk, you feel like you're kind of in inside what it's like to be a doctor. So is the reason you're saying that because of the, the content of the, the jokes in MASH? 
No, no, I think no, I think I can I can absolutely put the content to one side of Mash. I think I just think as an in, for an enjoyable show, I think I enjoyed Scrubs more, and it's largely I think a because of John C. McGinley and and that that character set up. But I think I've always wondered what it would like to be a doctor. I think I, I have a great and tremendous kind of you know, admiration of a doctor who I, I think, I think about them and tattoo artists to be so confident in your craft that I'm like, I'm going to cut into someone or I'm going to draw on someone's skin. That's there forever. You know, how terrified I would be to make, to do that and to, to make those decisions. So I feel like that first episode setting JD up as someone who has that massive anxiety on their first day, everyone's had a new job and everyone's had to walk into that, that environment and everyone's had that fear. I just, yeah, and look, the comedy is more my tone, that, that too. Can I ask you one more question and then sure. I'll shut up about it? If we were to do a reboot of MASH, maybe set in the Afghanistan war or the Iraq war, and we had John C. McGinley in one of the surgeon's roles, yeah, would you be on board with that show? Every day. I, I think yeah. that's the show they need to make. If, if, if anyone's listening to us, reboot MASH, but bring Dr. Cox across. So Dr. Yeah. Cox is suddenly in the army and has to go to Afghanistan. With a bit of dark comedy humor mm. type, type yes. thing. Two two really quick points. Um, I, I really want to say that I think I think Mash is a is set up to be better in each episode. I think the mm-hmm. first episode is good, but I think it's going to get better. Where I think Scrubs is going to be kind of this tone, this humor, kind of all the way through. Consistent. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Consistent. I think, but I think Mash has the ability to get better as the series as, as the next even the next episode goes on. And it's really interesting to say that Scrubs has been claimed to be one of the most accurate medical shows ever. Really? So going forward, like the, the, it may not be focused on the medical, but what they actually do is very, very, very correct. Yeah, and an interesting part of that is a reflection in the episode. Dr. Cox actually talks about modern medicine actually resulting in people being kept alive longer than perhaps they should. And um, the overwhelming majority of the patients that JD deals with every day are... are Elderly people, people with dementia, things like that, um, and that's uh, that, that is yeah, that is, an interesting yeah, that's again. definitely one thing that struck me is that some of the things that happened in, even in the first pilot struck me as stories that the production staff would have been told by new doctors that the, yes. the syringe with the the big arc of fluid, fluid. that comes out. Yeah. That that strikes me as something that's absolutely happened to a new doctor, um, and and I know that they had good medical advisors on on stuff that, that helped write some the of this real, stuff. So, the real JD, there's actually a real... Yeah, and, real. and so yeah. you do get that sense that it is set in grounded in reality. So, you know, it's it's a tone that I enjoy um, in terms of the cutaway kind of randomness humour that this this kind of helped popularise. Um, but it is grounded in, with heart, and I think that heart comes through early in the episode, and, and, and MASH does the same. Um, and and Mash is ripe for a reboot. I think we 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 don't see enough medical dramas or medical dramedies. I suppose is what what we need. Yeah, it's a drama, comedy dramedy. I, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd pull that if I was rebooting it. I think the balance would be fifty fifty. I think it would be far. It would be black humor, and it would be far more about kind of the medical, you know, and the harshness of war would probably be the better better scope than full blown comedy, which is what I think Mash tries to do. Um, while still having heart, but you don't really see that in the first episode. Mash currently now streaming all all seasons are now streaming on Disney Plus, 
and Scrubs is on stand for anyone that's looking for it. If you haven't seen either of them, I think the message is go and watch them both. Um, And and how you've missed MASH, I don't know. How can you be sort of our age and not see MASH? But anyway, any younger kids watching it, do yourself a favour, go chuck on some random episodes. I I think you'll actually get a laugh and uh, and you'll enjoy, particularly Alan Alda's performance is is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I think MASH is one of those shows where you can easily not watch any of the rest of the series but pick up a random episode and they're nice little bottled episodes and you can get a, have a very enjoyable experience just watching any one of them. You don't have to watch them all in sequence. You won't miss some major plus point, plot point or need some kind of backstory explained. So so that's it from us. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, boys, Anything? any last comments before we get on in this hot helicopter and take off? I just want to say, you know, it's, it's very appropriate that the theme song from Scrubs because very much like this podcast, I can't do this all on my own. I'm no Superman. Yeah, except basically we rock up, talk, and then it's all you from there <laughs> on in. Uh, I, I'm just going to say insert MASH theme song here. Uh, I don't want to have to go Google it. Uh, maybe check it out on YouTube or something. We might have to just, just do an off, off-key version <laughs> of it. It's just going to cut to Jake sort of humming an off-key t- tune. Uh, of course, that's, that's your role, Shane. And, of course, this episode brought to you by Hawkeye's Gin. If you're not smashed off your ass, are you even a surgeon? Right, you ready to record the outro? Yep, talent's here, let's go. Right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm nope. good. <clears throat> okay, hit me. Now remember, no cliches, funny, light, it's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's It's the good, most obvious but one. But that's what good trailers No, no, just no. On the edge of space. Shant. Bedroom, house, podcast, us, go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. We're a podcast. We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies. Is it just, just, No, no, just go. Is it because the, no, ju- the T-Rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stack? Go. A rooster and a cat are friends? I know you're a cock, but this... That's helpful. Come on. Movies, podcast. It's us talking about them. Go. Two idiots have a podcast. They talk about movies and nonsense. If you'd like to join in that conversation, you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. That's so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little. I've got a tickle and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.